What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Clips Combo. So I'm your host, Joey Lynn, and this is going to be our first ever playoff preview episode. If you've been following me for a while, you know I used to do these on YouTube, uh, but it's just tough now. One, for timing reasons, it's just obviously a lot quicker to be able to give you guys audio as opposed to giving you guys audio and film breakdown. But also, too, YouTube, at least for me, it just wasn't allowing me to post film anymore. It was either taking it down entirely and uh, copy writing it to the point where it couldn't even be up anymore, which is why if you go back to my old channel, uh, like half of my videos are gone uh, for that exact reason. Or two, they were demonetizing them. So I would put in all of this time and effort into making these breakdowns. And of course, it's more than just making money on it. But when I spent that much time to have it take the money away, that was tough as well. So um, just doing it on here now, because there's nothing that I would say on a YouTube video that I wouldn't be able to say on here. Obviously, you're just missing the film element, but I'm going to maybe do some film work on Twitter like I've done a few times leading up to game one because I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, obviously, we got a lot to talk about. We're going to start with kind of some housekeeping first and foremost with Paul George because he is, uh, of course, out right now. We don't know exactly if and when he will be back. There was this little tease that he put out uh, yesterday on Twitter via his podcast uh, Twitter account talking about the potential update that was going to come this morning and the update did come but it wasn't exactly uh, what I think some fans were hoping for right like with the way he kind of teased it or I guess whoever he's got running his socials kind of teased it it seemed as if it would maybe be some super big optimistic update I actually got the clip a day in advance so I knew already that it wasn't going to be exactly what fans hoped it would be, but I still think it was good news. While it wasn't this big groundbreaking update that PG was going to be back for game one of round one and he's going to have his full load of minutes, like, well, I think some fans were hoping for something along those lines. I still do believe it was a positive update. If you haven't seen it yet, I posted it on Twitter this morning at 10. So just scroll through my account a couple of times. You'll go and uh, you'll, you'll be able to see that. But um, basically what PG said is that, you know, he's progressing, right? He's feeling good. Um, you know, rehabbing six days out of the week for multiple hours every single day. Uh, he's he's getting stronger. He's He's feeling better. But at the end of the day, he still doesn't know when he's going to come back. And the one line that I think a lot of people are running with is the fact that he said, I'm going to give it every chance I got. And then he said, too, it's coming down to the wire. So that last sentence, I think, is what's causing some Clippers fans to hold out hope that he's going to be back for the first round of the playoffs. But the way I interpreted it and based upon what I've heard it just doesn't seem that way to me. When he said it's coming down to the wire, the way I interpreted that was, okay, we're running out of time before now in the start of the playoffs. I'm doing all I can, but it's coming down to the wire. It's you know not exactly looking like I'm going to be ready for game one. And that's, that's how I read it. And then when you get the report from Shams today, who said he's expected to be out to start the series and you go based upon what you've heard and all the reporting up until this point, I would be very surprised if we see PG in round one of the playoffs. Now, Hey, could that change? Perhaps, as I said, on a, uh, I was a guest on another sporting tribune podcast this morning. I said, this is not baseball, right? A seven game series in baseball. You're playing almost every day. You play two, one off day, then you play three, one off day, and then you play two again. Whereas 
in basketball, this is a multi-week thing just for one series, depending on how long it goes. So I think that does give a player like PG more time to come back. And it does, I would say, strengthen the chances of him potentially coming back towards the end of the series. Although, based upon what I've heard and based upon all the updates, I would not bet on that being the case. I would say you would at least need the Clippers to advance once before we see Paul George. But hey, things can happen. Not saying that he or the Clippers would put him in a position to play less than 100%. But we've seen that in the playoffs from star level players in years past. And again, I'm not advocating for that. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But hey, maybe if it gets to a, a situation where the Clippers feel like they have a real chance and PG says, I'm playing, maybe you see him. Maybe you don't, but we're just going to have to wait and see. So that's the Paul George update. And before I got into the series preview, I just wanted to give a very, very brief Marcus Morris update because I'm tired of talking about this. It's probably going to be the last time that I say his name on this podcast, but I did have to bring it up momentarily just because I talked about it so extensively on the previous two episodes. And you guys know I kind of flip-flopped my stance a little bit, or not really my stance, but just my expectation on what we were going to see or not see from Marcus Morris going forward. Obviously, you guys know he was not with the team when he was in health and safety protocols. He cleared those, came back. Ty Lue said he fully practiced. We saw pictures of him fully practicing. The entire expectation was that he was going to be active and available. And then they listed him on the injury report with back spasms, and we haven't seen him active since. So he has still been present at home games, I don't think he's been on the road. He certainly wasn't on that first road trip when he had uh, the health and safety situation, but I don't think he traveled to Phoenix. Could be wrong on that, but he is he has been there at the home games on the bench, but he has been in street clothes because he is inactive. That is how I anticipate things staying going forward. I believe he will continue to be listed as inactive. If it continues to be back spasms, I don't know. I can't say. We've seen his injury report status switch three times now. It started as an illness, then it changed to health and safety, and now it is back spasms. So I would imagine it will continue to be back spasms going forward, and you probably will not see him on the active list again this well postseason now. The regular season is done. So that's that. Just wanted to get that out of the way. That's where we're at on that. I had briefly mentioned on the last podcast episode that while I had initially predicted he would not be back at any point after seeing him at practice and after hearing the way things were being talked about by Ty Lue, I thought we might see him at least active, but now I think that's probably out the window. Don't expect to see Marcus again. But anyways, in much more important news, we have a seven-game series coming up with the big, bad Phoenix Suns. Now, of course, Phoenix had a historic collapse last year as they got ran out of the gym by the Dallas Mavericks, who are not going to be in the play-in picture at all, as they have already... Uh, been eliminated as you guys know the season ended and they are not in the play-in so it will be interesting to see if Phoenix has that on their mind and if they are entering the playoffs with a level of vengeance me personally I think it's completely different now because they added Kevin Durant it's a completely different team it's a completely different mentality I don't think they're entering the playoffs thinking, okay, we have to avenge last year. I think they're entering the playoffs thinking, hey, we got KD now. This is a different team. We don't got to worry about last year. We got KD. That's how I kind of see it, but who knows what they're going to come out like. 
So there's a lot to talk about in terms of this matchup. There were fans who were, of course, upset that the Clippers didn't throw that final game and secure the matchup with Sacramento. But anybody who is actually talking about that as if it was actually a realistic possibility just doesn't understand anything about anything. Because those two games, meaning the Clippers game and the Pelicans game, started at the exact same time. And for the entire first half-ish, the Clippers were about four minutes of game time ahead of the Pelicans. So it was looking as if there was going to be no chance that the Pelicans game finished prior to the Clippers game, which would theoretically give them a chance to potentially throw that game if the Pelicans would have lost. And then now you set up the matchup with Sacramento. Even then, it's tough. Because how egregious are you going to be at that point, right? Like, are you going to start taking five-second violations and throwing the ball in, in, in the Suns' basket? I don't even know what that would have looked like. But in the event that that would have been the case, okay, yeah, maybe that's a possibility. But we were ahead of them by about four minutes of game time. And then they had a speaker issue. All of a sudden, you see this speaker coming down from the rafters at Footprint Center. And you're thinking, okay, we got a delay on our hands. We're about to let them pass us up. And Clippers fans were joking about it. And I actually misinterpreted the broadcast. I already talked about this on Twitter. But I thought I heard Christina Pink report on the broadcast that the Clippers had asked the officials for additional time to warm up. But what she actually reported was that the officials asked the Clippers and the Suns if they needed an additional period of, of ramp up before they resume play. And apparently they said no, that they were fine. So even with, I think it was about a nine-minute delay, the Clippers still finished their game before the Pelicans did. Because there was a lot of free throw shot in that game. Just the overall pace of play was slower than the Clippers game, even with about a 9-10 minute delay. And it just, it, it, it ruined any real possibility of the Clippers being able to manipulate seating. So there's people, and, and like high profile people, people at major outlets having this conversation, pretending as if it was somehow possible for the Clippers to predict the future and while these two games were ending simultaneously almost, try to throw their game in hopes that the Timberwolves would actually hold on and beat the Pelicans. Because if they didn't, guess what? We got a play-in game tomorrow against the Lakers. So for anybody saying that, I just don't understand where the logic is coming from. It makes no sense to me. And a side point is that two years ago, when the Clippers, for whatever reason, wanted that Dallas matchup in round one to get the, the Utah matchup in round two. They threw that last game against OKC by running their offense through Daniel uh, Daniel Oturu. Then what happened? They got slandered by the NBA world for being scared. And then now they don't do that, and they accept the Phoenix matchup head on, and they're getting slandered by the NBA world for being stupid. So it's like, you can't win with these people, so don't even try to win with these people. But regardless, we got a matchup with you, or excuse me, with Phoenix coming up, and it is going to be a good one. Obviously, the Clippers are not favored, primarily because Paul George is expected to miss the entire series, but there is quite a bit to look at, and I'm excited to dive into it. Man, I really went in-depth looking at this because I wanted to give you guys a solid breakdown. Because as I always say, if you listen to this podcast, man, it's because you really rock with me and you want to listen to what I have to say because there's so many different pods you can listen to man obviously athletes have their own pods now 
Uh, there's a ton of different Clippers pods. So if you're listening to mine, I want to make sure I give you a good product. So I really dove into this pretty deep. And one of the interesting things about this matchup is that it's one of the few times where you see teams getting ready to play a seven-game series with each other, and they really didn't see the best version of each other face off in the regular season. We actually didn't see it at all. These two teams are in the same division, meaning they played four times this season. And we did not see them face off at full strength once. Part of that is because KD was a late season acquisition. Well, he was a trade deadline acquisition, and he didn't actually really start playing on a consistent basis until much later because he had that ankle sprain in warmups. But if you look at the four games these two teams played, it is very strange. You can get almost nothing from this season series because in their first game, Kawhi Leonard was still coming off the bench and he shot the ball six times in total. So that's completely irrelevant when you're trying to look at what a potential matchup would look like in the playoffs. And then in game two, this was the starting lineup the Clippers ran out there. John Wall, Terrence Mann, Amir Coffey, Marcus Morris, and Moses Brown. Those were the five players that the Clippers ran out for their second game against the Phoenix Suns. And then the third game, we got our best look at what these two teams look like at full strength. It was still without Kevin Durant, but we saw Kawhi Leonard and Paul George versus Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Now, this was during that period where they had already made the trade for KD, but he was not active yet. So they were without KD, but they were also without Bridges and Cam Johnson because they had already been sent to Brooklyn. So it was a unique situation. It was like Phoenix was doubly shorthanded because they didn't have KD and they also didn't have the pieces that they traded for him. So I didn't think it was that great of an indication, but it was the best we had up until that point. And it's still the best that we have because in game four, we saw it. That was game 82. We all watched it. CP sat, Book sat, KD sat, Aiton sat. They, they sat everybody. So you can't really take anything from that either. So all we can really do at this point is dive a little bit into that third game where we saw Kawhi Leonard and Paul George versus Chris Paul and Devin Booker. So I broke down some of those trends, the ones that I believed were most relevant to this series, and here's what we got. In that third game, Kawhi Leonard scored just 16 points on 18 shots. He was really bad, and he started horrible. I believe he missed his first seven shots, which was the first time in his career he ever did that. I don't have the stats in front of me, but it was something like that. And then PG really kind of picked it up for them as he had 26 on 9 of 19. But the star of that game for the Clippers was Terrence Mann, who had 26 points on just 12 shots. He was 10 of 12 from the field and absolutely killed Chris Paul. He was just smoking him, was getting his head above the rim, which is someplace Chris Paul hasn't been, uh, man, since like before Lob City. <laughs> But no, all jokes aside, CP doesn't play with his head above the rim. Terrence can. And you saw him bullying the lack of defensive resistance that the, the Suns have amongst their guards. So that was the Terrence Mann game. And it was really him starting to come into his own as the starting point guard, which of course now he's back off the bench with, with Russ. And we're going to get into Russ in, in a little bit. But that was the production from the Clippers. Chris Paul was abysmal. He had just five points on eight shots. So he, he was terrible. Book was terrible as well, as he had 19 points on 6 of 16. So the Clippers handled both CP and Booker 
with relative ease in that game. But there's big bad KD waiting in the wings and we're going to see him and we're going to see him very soon. So it's hard to look at that game and say, oh, well, they bottled up CP and Booker. They're going to be fine because not only are we throwing KD into the mix, but we're removing Paul George from the mix as well. And that's not only offensive production, but it's defensive production as well. Now, speaking of defense, there was some very interesting trends that I uncovered in that third matchup between the Clippers and the Suns earlier this season. The first was the way Phoenix defended Kawhi Leonard. Torrey Craig got the primary defensive assignment on him. He defended him for 34 possessions. Now, Kawhi did not shoot good in this game. And one of the things that I've learned over the last several years is that while good defenders can bother good offensive players, more often than not, when a good offensive player has a bad night, it's simply because it was a bad night. Yes, he could have been affected by defense, but you would see it time and time and time again where elite offensive talents are completely unfazed by elite defensive talents. Now, you can definitely see times where the best defenders in the world can lock up the best offensive players in the world, but there's a reason why guys like Kevin Durant, guys like Steph Curry, guys like Kawhi Leonard, guys like LeBron James can just completely disregard some of the best defenders in the world and dominate a playoff series despite teams throwing some very elite defenders on them. So that's something to consider. But anyways, back to that particular matchup. Torrey Craig had the Kawhi assignment, and he held him to one of five in those 34 possessions. How much of that was great defense as opposed to Kawhi having an off night? Well, you never really know. But it wasn't really a consistent primary defender on Kawhi that, to me personally, I look at in that third game where Kawhi struggled and say, okay, this is a problem. Because Kawhi has been playing as good as anybody for the last several months. And if you think that Torrey Craig or Ish Wainwright, who got, uh, he was kind of the secondary assignment on Kawhi, or Josh Okogie, who was who guarded him the third most, if you look at those three guys, and no disrespect to them, those guys are NBA players for a reason, and they drew that assignment for a reason. If you look at those names and you look at those guys and say, well, that's a concern. They're going to lock Kawhi up. I don't think you've been watching Kawhi because he has been killing for months now. He just won Western Conference Player of the Week. Probably should have been his third or fourth one, but he finally got it in the last week of the season. So Kawhi is the last guy I'm worried about. What, what you now start to look at is how the Clippers match up defensively with Phoenix. Because in that game, it was Paul George who was the primary defender on Devin Booker for most of that night. Now, what's interesting is that a lot of people remember Eric Gordon's defense on Devin Booker in that game, primarily because of a couple turnovers he forced down the stretch. But it was Paul George who actually guarded him the most. Paul George guarded him, and this is all coming from NBA.com. Defensive data can be skewed. It can be inaccurate, but it's the best we have to work with right now. PG guarded Booker for 21 possessions in that game, and he held him to one of four shooting. Gordon guarded him for 17 possessions in that game, and Booker went two of four. So small-ish sample size. Gordon did make some good defensive plays on Booker, but when you're looking at a potential playoff series with the Phoenix Suns, and you're entering it saying, okay, Eric Gordon is going to be our Devin Booker stopper, I think you're probably going to be in for a rude awakening. Because as good as EG was in that game, and he was solid, that is not going to be, in my opinion, God, I would love to be wrong, but in my opinion, that is not going to be a recipe for success. So 
That is my biggest concern when you look at the Clippers and how they match up with Phoenix. Because you obviously have Devin Booker, who has been the head of their snake for a long time. Nobody's really worried about Chris Paul in 2023. Let's be honest. Nobody is really worried about Chris Paul in the year 2023. Could he have a couple games where he shoots efficiently and he picks on the Clippers in their drop coverage? Perhaps, and I'm actually going to get into that. But in terms of game planning for him specifically and what he could potentially hurt you with offensively, you're not going to worry about him when you're going up against a team that has Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. You're just not. So... That is my biggest concern right now, because in the 2021 Western Conference Finals, Patrick Beverly was dominant on Devin Booker. He locked him up, but the Clippers did not have another option for Chris Paul, who was two years younger than he is right now and was playing a lot better than he is right now. And you saw that become an issue because with Kawhi Leonard out, the Clippers were down an elite perimeter defender. And with Patrick Beverly being their only real guard stopper, they had to throw him on Booker and then CP got loose. So now I think you might face a similar problem because now you're throwing Kevin Durant into the mix. And what's interesting is that when you hear me talk about who guarded Booker, what's one name you didn't hear? Kawhi Leonard. Because PG got the primary assignment and then Gordon was right behind him. But throughout the course of the regular season, especially with Kawhi coming off of an ACL tear, the Clippers have very rarely tasked him with guarding the other team's best player. Now, in the playoffs, that changes, and I anticipate that changing because it's all or nothing. You got to win or you go home. So you push all your chips to the middle of the table, and you say, if I have one of the best perimeter defenders all time in Kawhi Leonard, I'm not going to hide him on anybody but the best. And that didn't happen in that third game. It was very interesting because I didn't talk about Kawhi when talking about who guarded Booker because he really didn't guard him at all. In that third matchup between the Clippers and the Suns, Kawhi Leonard, the players he guarded the most, were Okogie, Torrey Craig, and DeAndre Ayton. So he was really not tasked with the Devin Booker assignment at all. And like I said, that's strategic because the Clippers don't want to have to have him guarding the other team's best player for really any point in the regular season. It's just not worth it in terms of the level of stress that it could put on the body, especially for a player coming back from an ACL. But in the playoffs, it's a different story. Now, I'm not saying Kawhi is a KD stopper. But he's about as good as they're going to have without Paul George. Because Paul George is obviously at his best, a little bit more athletic, probably not quite as strong, but he's still a very good defender. And I think he could give KD some level of trouble with his length, with his anticipation, with his athleticism. But we don't have him. So with Kawhi on KD, who is that going to put on Devin Booker? Like I said, you're probably going to see some Merrick Gordon I imagine you're going to see some Terrence Mann and maybe some Russ. It'll be interesting to see how they deploy him defensively because he, in terms of his build and his athleticism, I think he could give Booker a little bit of trouble. But again, is that a situation where you you, you have Russ running your offense already? Do you want him having to chase Booker around defensively on the other end? Because they move him around off the ball a lot as well. So I don't know if that's going to be the Clippers' primary option defensively. So it'll be interesting to see, but that is my biggest concern right now. We have Kawhi. You're going to want to try to throw him on KD at times, but then what does that leave you defensively on the others? Not a whole lot because the Clippers and coming into the season, my biggest concern with them was their point of attack defense or lack thereof. I felt like nobody else was talking about it. To me, it seemed as if I was the only person talking about it, 
but it was a major concern for me because you looked at their personnel defensively, specifically on the perimeter, and then even more specifically with their guards. They didn't have a Patrick Beverly. They didn't have anybody who was really a guard stopper. And in fact, they had several players who projected to be in the rotation that were abysmal defenders. And they still have guys like that. And again, it's no disrespect to Norm. It's no disrespect to Bones. It's no disrespect to Eric. But those guys aren't good defenders. Eric has had his moments, but man, he's he's challenged laterally for sure in terms of his ability to move back and forth and slide with some of these quicker guards. And the same goes for both Norm and Bones, and both of them are obviously a lot easier to bully to the basket. So that's a major concern for me. But at the end of the day, you do have Kawhi Leonard. And that's the reason why you're paying him max money. While in the regular season, you wouldn't want to throw him on KD for 48 minutes and say, go be our KD stopper and go be our number one option. In the playoffs, without PG, that's why you get max money. And while I don't think that's going to be the Clippers game plan for every single minute of every single game, just strictly because of that fatigue factor, they are going to have to ask a lot more from Kawhi Leonard on both ends than they have arguably at any point in the 2-1-3 era. And that's why he's Kawhi Leonard. And that's why he is a two-time finals MVP. So with him on our side, I do feel pretty good about what the Clippers could potentially do. But there's a few other things that need to go right. Because with Paul George out, who steps up? I'm going to pause for a second and let you guys kind of throw out your answers. Because it'll be very interesting to see how the pecking order goes offensively with Paul George out. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard is going to be your number one option. That was going to be the case regardless. But after that, I think it's kind of up in the air. And one of the guys who, and it's funny to call him an X-Factor because he's probably going to have the biggest spotlight on him. One of the guys who's probably going to be the biggest X factor, X factor, excuse me, is Russell Westbrook. And everybody's talking about Russ versus KD, you know, Russ versus Chris Paul. Everybody is looking at Russ. But I actually do believe that he has a chance to be a serious X factor in this series. Because since Paul George went down with injury, Russell Westbrook has elevated his game to a whole nother level. Since PG went down, Russ is averaging 19 points per game on 52% from the field and 46% from downtown. He has been a legitimate second option for Kawhi Leonard without Paul George. And against a Phoenix team that does not have the personnel to guard him and they don't have the personnel to guard him, I think Russell Westbrook could have a big series because Chris Paul can't guard him. We know that. Chris Paul couldn't guard him in 2014. He definitely can't guard him in 2023. (laughs) he can't and one of the things that we have seen Russell Westbrook do well and one of the environments we've seen him thrive in is when he is facing an opponent that does not have an elite rim protector because what does Russ like to do he likes to get downhill and CP is not going to be staying in front of him and if Russ wants to back CP down he can do that as well and like I said one of the ways we have seen Russ really thrive is when he is facing a team without an elite rim protector. And while the Suns have DeAndre Ayton, he is not an elite rim protector. On the season, DeAndre Ayton is allowing opponents to shoot 61.7% within six feet of the basket. Amongst all centers who defended at least 300 of those shots, that ranked bottom 10 in the NBA amongst centers. 
Now, for reference, Mason Plumley, who we all know is a bad rim protector, allows opponents to shoot 62.7% within six feet. So just 1% worse than Aiton. Now, I don't know how big of a factor this is going to be in the series because I think a lot of it will depend on how aggressive Russ chooses to be and how aggressive the Clippers need him to be. But I do think that's something to keep an eye on because the Suns do not have a lot of perimeter resistance from their guards. And they don't have a whole lot of rim protection either. But now something to keep in mind is that with KD in the mix, he offers a lot of very strong help defense at the rim. KD has allowed opponents to shoot just 54.9% within six feet, which is an elite clip. And that's as a guy who isn't a center. So that is something to keep in mind with the potential help defense that KD can provide Aiton with. But at the same time, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to try to attack KD and potentially get him in foul trouble. So while I don't think this is going to be the biggest storyline to watch and the biggest game plan adjustment for these two teams, it is something to keep an eye on. Because this is especially true if the Clippers want to try to draw Aiton out of the paint with some small ball, and then now they're really reliant on putting KD in that help defense role or forcing Aiton to recover then now I really think that's an opportunity for Russ to get downhill and do some damage at the basket. So Russell Westbrook is a major X factor for me in this series. Now, two other guys that I think could be major X factors, one more so than the other, are Norman Powell and Bones Highland. I don't anticipate Bones Highland being in the immediate playoff rotation. Like, I don't think he's going to be the first or second guy off the bench. But I'd be surprised if we don't see him at any point in this series. Because like I said, with Phoenix struggling defensively, especially amongst their guards, I truly believe this is an environment Bones Highland could thrive in. But back to Norm, because he is going to be a guy that will be in the immediate playoff rotation. He, again, for a lot of the same reasons as Russ, has a chance to be an X-Factor. But my concern with that is with Bones and Norm, and again, I'm going to focus more on Norm because I don't anticipate Bones being in the, that immediate playoff rotation. There is a high chance that they cannot stay on the floor defensively. Norman Powell is a bad defender. And they have challenged him all year to be better on that end they think he has the tools to do it, but we haven't seen it. Outside of small stretches where he has a couple of good defensive plays, he has been very bad on that end all year. But he's been so good offensively that he's been, I mean, really in the six-man-of-the-year conversation before he got hurt, he was probably leading in that conversation. So he is certainly going to be in the mix, but the playoffs are a different animal. If you're a bad defender in the regular season, sure, you can maybe survive that. But if you're a bad defender in the postseason, there's no surviving that. They will find you, and they will hunt you, and they will score on you, especially when you got C.P. Booker and K.D. out there. So that is a major concern of mine because Norman Powell is a guy I look at as a major X factor. I think he could have a monster series offensively, which is something the Clippers desperately need in the absence of Paul George. But how is he going to look defensively? How is he going to hold up when CP is putting him in every single action, when Booker is putting, putting him in every single action, when KD is putting him in every single action? How is he going to look then? That's a concern of mine because... With guys like Russ, with guys like Mann, they're too strong 
defensively. Just I, and I'm, when I say strength, I mean literal strength. They're too strong defensively to have guys like CP or Booker pick on them and bully them in the way that those two guys could potentially do to Norm. So I'm not really worried about those two. It's Norm that I'm worried about, and especially so because he provides you with the most offensive upside really outside of Kawhi Leonard in this series. So that is something to look at because I truly believe Norm could eat offensively in this series. But his ability to stay on the floor defensively and not become a liability on that end is truly something I believe could make or break the Clippers' chances in this series. Now, another guy who is similar in that category is Mason Plumley. We already know Mason is bad defensively. We've seen enough of that to be able to make that determination. So if Zoo gets in foul trouble, which you know they're going to be trying to do, what do the Clippers go to? Because I truly think this is a series that Mason Plumlee could be unplayable in. Because Chris Paul, he's more on the wash side these days, but he's still savvy. He will make sure to put Mason Plumlee in every single pick and roll. And Plumlee's drop coverage might be deeper than Moses Brown's was. And Moses was dropping into like the fifth row. So with Chris Paul out there putting Plumlee in every action, that could be a recipe for disaster if Zoo cannot stay on the floor due to foul trouble. And the same goes for Booker, the same goes for KD. They're all savvy as much as I hate to admit it. They're incredible. So that is a concern of mine as well. Because this is the type of series where theoretically you would want Zoo to play 48 minutes. And I think he's ready for that challenge of playing 36, 40 minutes. But can he do that and do it without fouling? Because Zoo can become prone to fouling, but he also gets a bad whistle. So that is a major concern of mine as well. And then my final major concern, well, actually really two more, but the one that's, that I haven't really hit on at all, is just the overall lack of firepower that the Clippers might have in this series. Because without Paul George, you're going to be asking a lot of Kawhi, which is fine. But outside of that, you're going to be asking a lot of Russ. You're going to be asking a lot of Norm, Terrence. You're going to need Nico to hit shots. How sustainable is all of that? Because realistically, you're going to need all of it to win this series. You're going to need Kawhi being the best version of himself. You're going to need Russ being the best version of himself. You're going to need Nico to hit shots. You're going to need Norm to probably average 18 to 20 points per game. How realistic is all of that happening at the same time? I don't know. But that's a concern of mine as well. It's just the overall lack of firepower without Paul George. And then I've alluded to it already, but my final concern is just the possibility of Kawhi getting fatigued. Because while he is that dude for a reason, and he has won two finals MVPs for a reason, and he is getting $45, $45 million a year, whatever it is, for a reason, and he's looked like one of the best players in the world over the last several months for a reason, it's asking a lot of him to be your KD stopper and then handle all types of double teams on the other end every single possession. It's just asking a lot. I don't care who you are, it's asking a lot. So while I think he is the primary reason why the Clippers can win this series just because of how incredible he is, I do worry about the possibility of the Clippers simply just placing too much on his shoulders. And if he pulls this off, I won't stop anybody for trying to put him in any rankings. Like, put him wherever you want at this point. Because if he pulls this off, it will have taken something heroic and it'd be special.
So I'm looking forward to it because my final point is that anytime you have a player like Kawhi Leonard, as much as it is that the Clippers will be asking of him, you have a chance. Plain and simple, you have a chance. Because he has been playing as good as anybody in the world for several months now. And you drop him in any playoff series, and he has a chance to be the best player on the floor. And that includes a playoff series with Kevin Durant. And there aren't many guys in the league you can say that about. And the Clippers have one of them. So because of that reason, I think they got a chance. And at this point in the year, that's all you can ask for. So I'll have coverage for you guys all series long. My plan is to actually go to Phoenix and cover those first two games in person. So you guys know where to find me. Until next time, much love and go Clippers.